2: Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST
0: for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.
2: This is the Cork Today replay on C103. But all of the papers this morning are picking up on what looks like a little bit of a collision course between our coalition partners. And it's been kicked off by the tarnished Leo Varadkar, who uh, he's put, he, well, Fianna in particular, but I think Fina forward will roll in on this. Uh, he's put himself on a collision course with the Green Party because last night the tarnished Leo Varadkar at one of his parliamentary party meetings said that the plan to ban the sale of turf in September according to the Tóniste, at the Fine Gael Parliamentary Party, that plan has been uh, paused. Now, that's in complete contradiction to a spokesperson for the Green Party leader and, of course, the Environmental Minister Eamon Ryan, who has denied. He was asked, was there any pause on the banning of sale of turf? There's absolutely no way. No way. There's no pause. That ban is going ahead. Minister Ryan has agreed to engage on how the regulations would be Implemented, but there was no agreement on a pause. Leo Varadkar, meanwhile, announced the pause at the Fianna Gael Parliamentary Party meeting last night hours after, Eamon Ryan had robustly defended the move and said it was the right thing to do. Responding to Eamon Rhine saying there was no pause, Leo Varadkar's spokesperson then said, there's no detailed proposal submitted to government yet the Department of the Environment has to do that after Easter and it's only at that stage then it gets discussed by all the parties so that's kind of inferring that the Green Party have jumped the gun because the in, the Minister for Environment, Green Party leader and his department will have to bring the proposals so the proposals haven't even gone for discussion uh, yet. Now news of the impending ban of course it has sparked a huge backlash from rural based TDs in both Fianna Gael and Fianna need needless to say all of the rural TDs across the uh, independents and the opposition parties all very much up in arms about this. The Fianna Fáil TD Barry Cowan was probably one of the first and most vocal to come out against it and he hit out at Eamon Ryan, uh, saying that when Minister Ryan has three times the number of seats as my party, i.e. Fianna Fáil and elected members of Dáil Éireann in Offaly and the region, maybe then he might have the power to initiate such proposals but not while the numbers and support is stacked in our favour. That's fighting Talk from Barry Cowan. Leo Radker is understood to have told TDs and Senators at the meeting last night that telling those who cut and sell turf that they'll no longer be able to do it from September is like telling the French that they can't sell their wine or to tell the Italians that they can't have their pasta he did not provide any indication though of how long the pause would be in place he just said there will be a pause and the ban won't come in in September The honestly told the meeting that he had been contacted by a large number of Fine Gael TDs on the issue the move to pause any changes in turf cutting uh, was widely welcomed, including by um, a number of backbenchers, including one of our own, uh, Tim Lambert, the Longford-based Senator Michael Carriggie, told the meeting he had not seen such a sharp reaction to the turf-cutting proposals since the backlash against the water charges, and that was nearly a decade ago. Barry Cowan said the proposal amounted to an outright cliff edge ban on the commercial sale of turf. And he said he would personally meet Eamon Ryan to discuss the plan. He said we can live with the banning of sales at filling stations and at retail outlets are on the side of the road. But he said there should be some kind of an allowance made for dependent householders who depend on turf to heat their homes and to the bog owners and to the bog cutters. and another back bench at TD representing the Tipperary area, uh, Jackie Kyle, he was speaking on his local radio, Tip FM, earlier in the week and he said banning the sale are the gifting of turf while providing no immediate, viable, cost-effective alternative. He said he's simply not on and of course last week, Eamon Ryan outlined the move in response to what at the time was a parliamentary party question uh, from uh, Deputy Griffin, he, the TD, the Kerry TD. He had asked could people continue to cut and sell turf after September when the new rules on solid fuels were coming into effect? And that's when Eamon Ryan said that the new regulations are required. And, you know, he went on to talk about the 1,300 people who die prematurely every year, he says, because of air pollution. And he said it's air pollution from solid fuel burning. So he said at that stage that while measures are required to reduce the emissions associated with the burning of peat, Turf cutting by citizens for use in their own homes is a tradition. He said they will be respected. He then said there would be a ban, however, on the sale or the distribution of sod peat. And what he meant by the distribution was, say a neighbour had a patch of bog where he would cut Turf, And then he might give it to his next door neighbour. He might give it to family members. And that's a tradition that goes on in many rural areas. Or Some bog owners make a bit of money out of it by selling to their neighbours or fa- selling to their family members or even just gifting it, just giving it to family members. They will not be, if these regulations go in, according to Eamon Ryan, they won't be allowed to sell. Or they even won't even be allowed to give a bag as a gift to a family member. So there it looks like we are on a little bit of a collision course there, I think, between Fianna Fáil, Fianna Gael and the Greens time will tell how this one is going to all pan out and we're going to have to wait until Easter, after Easter because it's only then that the proposal will go before Cabinet and that's when they'll get to have their say. And of course there's a lot in the paper of what we've been talking about all week and that was the government unveiling the third major package of measures since October to try to offset the cost of uh, living and to ease the, the the growing unrest amongst all of the TDs and growing unrest around the country with the cost of living. So what was announced yesterday Today was as was anticipated the vast rate on gas and electricity is being reduced from thirteen and a half percent to nine percent from the first of may. But of course, the one that, again, this goes back to rural uh, areas, there is to be no reduction in VAT on home heating oil. And that comes great disappointment to a number of people. Uh, ministers were told that if uh, they couldn't reduce the VAT on home heating oil, because if the government did it, it would be required them to reduce all of the items in the 13.5% category. And according to Pascal Donohue, that wasn't possible. He said if I was to make a reduction on the VAT rate from home heating oil, everything else that's charged at 13.5% would have to come down as well. And that's a different reason to what the reason we were given yesterday, we were told that their hands were tied because of the EU would, would, wouldn't give them a derogation to reduce, the oil, to reduce the VAT on home heating oil but now Pascal Donoghue said no it's a different reason and that everything in the 13.5% VAT category I don't know why that would be but I, I suppose that's the, the way the laws are according to Pascal Donoghue Heidi says Patricia after hearing the government has reduced VAT on gas and electricity which is very good and very welcomed but nothing again for poor old rural Ireland and the houses that have no choice but to use home heating oil to heat their houses because they don't have access to gas. Come on, rural TDs, use your voices to shout unfair. And in fairness, I do think the rural TDs are shouting as loud as they can. Uh, Heidi says, we look to how the government said when Covid happened that we have to keep the grannies and the granddads safe well now all the granny and granddads have to look forward to hypothermia and dying from the cold next winter as many soon will not be able to heat their uh, homes it's another kick in the teeth for uh, rural Ireland and then Heidi goes on to talk about Eamon Ryan and the Green Party and you could add in what is going on with turf we so were talking about the ban on uh, peat and the cutting of well it's the ban on the sale and distribution of sod peat that the environment, the Department of the Environment is hoping to introduce from September of this year. Margaret says, Patricia, are briguettes going to go? I love the heat from briguettes, says Margaret. Well, this was announced last year that peat briquettes will no longer be made after 2024. So you have a couple of years uh, left, while Board of course, has ended all its peat harvesting operations in Ireland and the decision at uh, that time was, was very much welcome. This would have been back in January of 2021, the city was welcomed, obviously, by all of the environmental uh, groups. But Bournemouth, of course, announced it's no longer harvesting peat on its land. So peat gets will no longer be made after 2024. So you've a couple of years left, Margaret, if you want to stock up. OK, somebody else says that smoky coal should be uh, banned. OK, we need to take a break. And coming up after the break, we're going to be talking about graveyards and cemeteries and the maintenance of same there's a graveyard in your area is it well maintained, who's responsible are the council doing an adequate job on the maintenance of the graveyard in your area let us know 0818 103 103 you can text you can whatsapp 0862 103
0: 103 Court today on C103
3: with Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale now part of McCarthy Insurance Group promoter, home, business, farm life and health insurance cmig.ie C-103 is under starter's orders for Cork Racecourse Mallow's Easter event, April 16th to 18th. Enjoy three great days of racing at Cork Racecourse with live music on Saturday and the most stylish lady event on Easter Sunday. Plus, plenty of children's entertainment with a family fun race day on Easter Monday. For more, see CorkRacecourse.ie. Join us at Cork Racecourse Mallow's Easter event, April 16th to 18th. April 16th to 18th with C-103.
0: Cork today
2: on scene 103.
0: Text or WhatsApp Patricia with your comment. 086 2103 103 Now what
2: has been described as a lengthy debate in County Hall leading some county councillors to accuse the local authority of abdicating its responsibility to maintain many graveyards properly, which councillors say is showing disrespect for the dead and those left grieving for them. West Cork, Fine Gael, Councillor Karen Coakley took part in the debate and uh, Uh, She joins me. Good morning, she Karen. Good
4: morning, Patricia. Good Uh, morning, Esther.
2: You're very welcome. Now, you recently paid a visit to St Patrick's Cemetery, which is in Skibbereen. Talk to me about the condition that you found that uh, cemetery in.
4: Yes, indeed, Patricia. If you wouldn't mind, could I just go back slightly, just to say that this was something that I raised in June of 2021, and I felt nothing was done, and that's the reason that I brought it before full council last Monday. Okay. I did indeed. I visited St Patrick's graveyard, and it's not just to name this cemetery because there are new numerous cemeteries, not just throughout West Cork, but all of Cork County. And the first thing you feel is just an awful sadness when you go into the cemeteries. They're sacred spaces. And to see that they're not maintained, it's very hurtful. It's very disrespectful for people. I mean, sadly, the footpaths were covered in weeds. There was crum- crumbled walkways, broken glass. And that's, that's just to name a few things.
2: And how many graveyards are currently under the control of the council?
4: There are, I believe, off the top of my head, 216 cemeteries. There's a lot. There's, yeah, there are yeah, indeed. Yeah,
2: it's, 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 bi- it's a big um, uh, oper- operation. But, and in in fairness to families, plots don't come cheap.
4: No, um, just looking at Skibarine alone, I believe it's €750, Euro, and this is the point that I was trying to make at the meeting, that surely when people are buying a plot, that you would expect that the ongoing maintenance would be included in that. And, you know... People are constantly contacting me about this, but it really came to light during the pandemic. A lot of people, they found solace in visiting their loved ones in the cemeteries. But to go in and to see the state of disrepair that they were in, it's very, very hurtful for people. And again, they are sacred spaces. And I feel that we need to look after the deceased in our communities. I mean, you know, these people deserve better and we need to prioritize our graves and we need to allocate more funding to them.
2: And then you will have some local cemeteries that are kept really well but that's down to local voluntary groups, isn't it? Looking after Absolutely.
4: I mean, time and time again we have to pay tribute to the wonderful volunteers but in a way the volunteers are doing such a good job that it's almost taking from the council the council should be doing the work and it's almost taking the onus off them. Now some of the cemeteries are fantastic but I believe that what we possibly need is a coordinated approach. We need to work together collectively and more can be achieved so that Voluntary groups working with the council, and that's how we will achieve the quality and the respect that we need for our cemeteries.
2: Yeah, I know. I was I was reading the newspaper report from the debate, and uh, uh, West Cork uh, councillor Paul Hayes uh, speaking about one undertaker who had to cut the grass in Timoleague so that the mourners could access the grave. I mean, I think he spoke about the grass being two feet high in some areas. I mean, that really yeah. isn't good enough.
4: That's correct. And then, of course, the other problem then is insurance. And if people go in, if they start maintaining and doing this oh. themselves, you know, are they covered by insurance? So that's another issue that has to be addressed.
2: Did, I didn't even think of that. Uh, OK, is there an annual budget for graveyard maintenance?
4: There is an annual budget. And just looking now at uh, to, uh, 2021 maintenance of burial grounds, this is particular now for the MD in West Cork. There was 317507 allocated. For 2022, the allocation for the maintenance was 314973 So it seems to be decreasing every year. Now, at the end of the debate, with it, which everybody supported on Monday, we were told that we've got to go back to RMDs when it comes to budget and we've got to allocate more funding. But there is only a certain amount of funding and it just seems that we're constantly fighting for this and we seem to be going nowhere with it. So when I meet constituents and when they're upset about the state of the cemetery... It's awful to have to say to people that it comes down to finances, but sadly that is reality and it comes down to lack of funds.
2: And as you say, uh, it was was at the full council meeting, it wasn't just West Cork councillors, North Cork councillors had their own stories to tell as well.
4: Absolutely, this problem is throughout the county, in fact I'm sure it's throughout the country as well, but for me here I was raising it in particular for West Cork because it's the people of West Cork that are coming to me and they're saying how upset they are about this and... I felt that
2: I had no choice but to bring this to full council. Okay, Eddie is in uh, Mahan and the, he lives near the, uh, the cemetery in Black Rock, so that would be obviously under the control of the oh, city council. It. It's St. Mary Cemetery, uh, St. Michael's Cemetery, sorry Eddie, and he says they have four grounds uh, people working there. They do an excellent job. But Eddie said he also sees people bringing in their own you know, push lawnmowers and clipping grass around their own uh, graves. Eddie said he also visits some graveyards in the county, in Mill Street in Canton Turk. They're all well-maintained. But Eddie is saying, surely people, individuals themselves have a responsibility to look after their own relatives' graves and tidy up a bit about, around them. We shouldn't be totally relying on the council. But in, in fairness, um, I would say a lot of people do try to maintain their own graves. But what you're talking about, Karen, are the walkways.
4: Absolutely. That's yeah. a very valid point, And I would agree with Eddie completely. It does go back to the individuals. That's very easy to say too, but you've got to remember that you've got a lot of older people who physically, they can't actually do that. And again, people do believe that when they pay and they buy a plot in the local cemetery, that maintenance will be included in this. It basically goes back to the lack of outdoor staff, and this is a massive problem throughout the county. There simply aren't enough outdoor staff. At one time, they would have been doing works on the graves, and then that would have been put out to tender. The grass might have been cut twice a year, but... We we need to look at another approach and we need to work together to get this done and to get it up to the standards and the quality that it should be for our communities.
2: Do you reckon that the graveyards are not getting at least two cuts a year then at the moment?
4: Some most definitely aren't. Yeah. Some of them are in absolute shocking state. I mean, if you look at some of the older graveyards, nothing has been done with them.
2: Yeah, to have grass growing two feet high. And we must also cut.
4: remember it's a health and safety hazard. I mean, if people are going in and the grass is so high they're going to fall over the kerb so th- that again is another issue
2: Okay, Michael in Mitchelstown says there is a cemetery in Mitchellstown, Brigawn New Cemetery the grass is completely overgrown there's entrance gates that were half painted that happened three years ago they never finished painting them there's a centrepiece in the graveyard where a cross was due to be erected nothing was ever done it's been there since 1978 he also visits Kilcrumper on a regular basis and also the cemetery in Glamworth Spotless compared to Bregaun New Cemetery. So some seem to be doing well and uh, others not. Jerry says there's a graveyard in Ballin Bray, which is near to Douglas. Great condition, a credit to the caretaker. Michael and Skull, new graveyard between Skull and Goline. It's kept fantastic. The grass is cut, pathways kept clear. Then between the paths is the unused part of the graveyard, and they've left the grass grow for biodiversity with various flowers uh, growing. It adds colour to the cemetery. That sounds great. James Cloyne says he is on a CE scheme and we cut the grass in graveyards in Ladies Bridge but many people say it's well maintained but CE schemes could work for many graves and CE schemes cover the insurance oh, and that's a, that's a bit of a mixed up one I think what he means is there could be more people on CE schemes Absolutely. Yeah, and, and and obviously the council are using CE schemes they are but they, again they need more people
4: again it goes back to outdoor staff there's a lot of people and they're, they would love to be part of the CE scheme and it would make such a difference to the community if they could work in the cemeteries there's loads of work to be done people want to work and we need to recruit more people to do it
2: yeah and just a final one Anne from Mallow said St Joseph's Graveyard in Mallow the footpath inside and at either side of the main gate full of moss and where the water tap is it takes ages to stop the flow of the tap and uh, because of that it's like a swamp underneath it Anne says I saw an elderly woman fall one evening and she was so upset I've brought this issue up to local representatives but no uh, conclusion so more money needs to go into the budget and more outdoor staff
4: Absolutely and we need to give our deceased and the loved ones the respect that they truly deserve. This is what this is all about and we need to start cleaning up and we need a proper programme of maintenance for all of our cemeteries throughout County
2: Cork. Okay, well done, well done. It's a, it is, it's an issue I can see. Phone lines are hopping and lots more texts and um, comments coming in on this. Listen, Karen, thank you for that and thanks for joining us on the programme this My morning. My pleasure. Thank good you. Good morning Patricia. to you. Bye-bye. You. That is West Cork uh, Councillor Karen uh, Coakley, if you have a story to tell. Good or bad, it's good to see that the well-maintained cemeteries that we're hearing about, it's good to hear about them uh, as well. I think a lot of this is again going back to the fact of we are the largest county in Ireland so a huge number of cemeteries 260 odd burial grounds to be maintained by the council and if we don't have enough outdoor staff it's like when people talk about back in the day with the man with the shovel and back in the day when the man was in the shovel cleaning up the dikes we had a lot more outdoor staff working for the council does and of course if we don't have the staff the knock on effect is it's going to be not enough people to do the work that the same amount of work needs to be done and then you get into a situation where you don't have maintenance on graveyards and I do think Karen is spot on it's just utterly disrespectful to loved ones who are buried there and so unfair on family members that like to visit graveyards on a regular basis. 0818 103 103 your thoughts welcomed this morning, you can text you can WhatsApp to 0862
0: 103 103 Court Today
3: on C103 With John Cusack Insurance's Kinsale, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. So
2: much emphasis on rising costs and so many people struggling to make ends meet. It's good to hear that plans for a mandatory national living wage will be brought to government before the dull summer break. That's according to the Tornister, Leo Varadkar. Social Justice Ireland has been calling for a living wage for many, many years. And joining me, their economic and social analysis that's Suzanne Rogers. Good morning to you, Suzanne. Good morning, Patricia. Thanks for having us. Well, you're very welcome. And I was talking with John Paul in the office yesterday about this, and I was saying, I, I can't remember uh, uh, how long ago it was when I first spoke to Father Sean on this. I mean, <laughs> Social Justice Ireland have been banging on about this literally for years, haven't, yes. haven't you?
5: Yes. Yeah, because I, I suppose it's the same because it's the same issues all the time. Like, when you and when I think back, even to sort of my own, so you know, reading on poverty over the, 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 you know, the years, a job was always the, that was the policy. You know what I mean? Get people back into work, get people into jobs. Like even the social welfare payment is called job seekers. So, to get people out of poverty, work is the answer. And what we've actually seen is that that isn't the case. So. If work isn't the answer, then what's the missing link? And that is obviously then how much people are being paid. So, this is why this is so important.
2: Yeah, and that's why, and I'm, I'm convinced it was Father Sean who coined the phrase the working poor. I mean, you know, people go out to work and just yeah. don't make uh, enough. I suppose, okay, outline what is meant by the term living wage.
5: Living wage is very simply it's designed so that the figure is arrived at and what you're trying to do is establish an hourly rate. Now again this is providing that you're getting your 39 hours and what that rate should do is to provide somebody who's working those 39 hours with enough income to achieve what's called an agreed acceptable minimum standard of living. So as you said basically you're going out and you're working I mean work is hard full stop um but that at the end of the week you have enough there to provide for the basics, so going out to work should pay, um, and I think that's that's really the key thing. So, in cold hard cash money terms, at the moment the living wage figure is 12.90 an hour, and when you compare that to the minimum wage, which is 10.50 for a 39-hour week, you're already looking at about a hundred euro a week there or thereabout in the difference between those two figures. So it is it's quite striking.
2: Now, the Tánaiste has indicated there would be a five-year lead-in. Is that because companies would need time to prepare for it, or how would you feel about a five-year lead-in?
5: I mean, as you... You, you know, you introduced this piece by discussing the current cost of living crisis. People are struggling today, now as we speak. There's people who are already opening kitchen cupboards, thinking, "What am I going to do for dinner?" There's people who are going to food banks, thinking, "Well, there's no point in taking a tin of beans with me because I've got no heat to heat it up when I go home." So five years is a very, very, very long time. I think the discussion, like when you go, when you think back to the discussion about the pup payment at three fifty. And mm-hmm. that that was all based on, as a social welfare payment, is it too high? Is it, you know, is it a deterrent to people going back to work? When maybe the question should have been, well, if you're being paid less than that, what does that say about the job that you're doing? What does that say about the income that you're earning? I mean, the conversation really should be about a business being able to pay its employees enough to get by. And again, I I would go back to that thing as well, is that if a business isn't able to pay its employees enough, it is the social welfare system that fills that gap.
2: Yeah, things like the family income supplement and stuff. Yeah, yeah, medical
5: cards, rent supplements, all of that kind of stuff. So there's a massive conversation to be had about where the onus would lie, you know, in, in terms of achieving a living
2: wage. Do other countries operate the concept of a living wage?
5: Off the top of my head, no, I'm not sure. I know what you... Actually, sorry, yes, you do, because you've got... you've Actually, what you actually have in other countries is local government making a commitment to to only employ, say, contractors who commit to a living wage. So you've got... That concept is, is in place in different parts of the world, and that's a really interesting way, I think, of, of implementing it. So while it might not be... A legality, it might not have replaced the national minimum wage, what companies or so what governments are saying is actually well, okay um, and you'll see it now again more because more stuff is being subcontracted out to the private market, that government can interfere I suppose in the private market in that way by saying okay well whoever comes in and is contracted by local government you must pay them a living wage so that's a really interesting way I think of coming at it
2: Yeah, yeah, Daniel wants to know how do you set a national living wage?
5: The living wage at the moment is based on the Vincentian Partnership for Social Justice minimum essential standard of living. So what that is, is it's a basket of goods. They've actually gone out, and I mean, the the work they do is incredible. It's thousands and thousands and thousands of items. So you arrive at a consensual basket of goods. People sit down and agree on what do people need to get by? And then they go out and they cost that. And then, what really, what you're working back then is to say, how much do you need to earn in order to provide for this basic basket of goods? So,
2: yeah, because I saw Leo Varadkar say, saying he he's in favour of basing the living wage on a percentage of the median, median wage. wage
5: yeah, yeah, Is that is that a fairer way of doing it? It would have to. It would be interesting to see what percentage you set to that.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's true. That's true. Yeah, you know. yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, you, and I can't just, yeah, because somebody else is saying, would it would it would arise with inflation?
5: See, what happens again over the long term is as inflation rises, wages come in behind that anyway. Now, not immediately. You know, we've had, if you look at sort of certain households this year in the country, they've been impacted by like a 6% inflation rate, other households maybe 5%. Wages haven't increased 6 or 5% this year. But, you know, slowly as inflation goes up, wages do go up. So it it doesn't happen overnight, you know. The, mm. the, the inflation rates we've seen this year have happened really, really quickly, um, but it does over time. It does it it, it does a, that kind of slow drag upwards. So it would all be kept in line. But yeah, I, I don't I, until I see what percentage of median wage he's talking about. Um,
2: yeah, I don't. I, yeah, it's, it's hard to comment. Yeah, mm. and the and the other one, obviously, if if uh, if and please God, a living wage does uh, come in a little bit like the minimum wage. It would get looked at every year, every couple of years, like mm. what they do in the budget. Is is that that would be the theory of it?
5: I would have thought so. Yeah, because as you said, if it is linked to um, some sort of average or median, then obviously as that rises, it would rise with it. And if it is going to be based on what it actually costs. To live again, as that increases, it should it should keep up in line with that. Because I mean, you know, what I got paid thirty five years ago in a job now wouldn't be the same as you know what 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 I would need now to, to 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 make ends meet. So as things change, it should be updated. It should be kept in line with what it actually costs.
2: To, to yeah, but I and, and I do think you're right. I think I think the, the simpler way, uh, and I think the fairer way, is basing it on that basket of goods. But I'm just thinking about a basket of goods today. In the last only number of months, has shot up in in price. I mean, families, Suzanne, really are struggling at the moment.
5: Oh, absolutely, and. I keep going back to the same figure of 208 euro a week, which is what a single person gets on job seekers. The heavy lifting that that money has to do, that's the roof over your head, food on the table, your heat bill, your light bill, your shoes, your clothes, your haircuts, Christmas birthdays, your transport, your medical costs. Um, you know, you're up your mobile phone, putting out your bin bags. I mean, that's, that's a huge ask of a very, very, very small amount of money. And even if there's you know, if there's children in the in the mix, I mean, you know, in terms of social welfare payments, there's not a huge amount more. Um, and again, to go back to your original point of, of the working poor, I mean, estimates are about 130,000, 140,000 people in the country who are working and still can't make ends meet. And again, they are traditionally that sort of that lone parent household, older household, single households. So we have an awful lot of people who are really doing their very they're doing everything that we say you're supposed to 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 move yourself out of poverty which is you know get up early in the morning and get out and go to work and come home and still that cliche thing about you know chosen between heating and eating it's mm-hmm. very difficult out there at the moment yeah. and, I
2: and, and I just think some of the people the way they manage to budget on a small income by putting a little bit away every week, and it's just—it's if God forbid there's an unforeseen increase or something goes wrong in the household that can throw out the budget then completely.
5: Oh, forget it. I mean, if your if your washing machine goes on the blink yeah. or your boiler goes on the blink, you're you are really bunched. And again, you know that sort of that low income budgeting thing, one or two euro makes such a difference. Um, I mean, you know this is. Like even trying to keep a bank account open I mean if you're getting charged 30 quid a year to, to use your debit card if you're getting um, you know if you're getting kind of transaction fees I often think as well people on low income pay more for the same things because you're not able to get the savings so, so somebody so on a low income there? yeah you know they're they're paying more for everything you know even things like trying to get a, you know, 36-pack toilet roll back from the
2: supermarket as opposed to a four-pack. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah you're you right, know. You're, you're right. And I know I mentioned at the start of the programme, you know, about how the government yesterday unveiling their third major package mm. of measures since October. I mean, they're trying to offset the cost of uh, living. Uh, are, are they doing enough?
5: Again, we would say everything is welcomed. Everything that they've put into these packages is to be welcomed. But we are conscious that money, as one politician said before, doesn't grow on trees. It's a limited resource. We would have liked to have seen it maybe slightly more targeted because, again, the evidence is there from the Central Bank, the Parliamentary Budgetary Office, the ESRI, that it's rural households, older households, and low-income households who are really struggling with this because of, of what they buy. So most of their income goes back into the system. And most of their income goes on the basics, on food and energy and fuel, and that's where the increases have seen. So we would have liked to have seen a slightly, you know, a, sorry, not slightly, a more targeted approach, and things like the fuel allowance. Again, we would like to have maybe, you know, to seen that kind of, you know, really overhauled completely. Um, And a lot of them would really go back to putting money in people's pockets. Look at the social welfare rates, really target those households who are struggling at the moment.
2: Yeah, because the fuel allowance is is an interesting one. I was kind of taken aback when I realised there's there's only 370,000 households on fuel allowance. That's a very low number.
5: See that's the thing there's not not everybody's entitled to it and even if you're on job seekers you have to be on job seekers for a certain length of time um, yeah it's it's not it's not something that it, it isn't a universal payment but at the same time those households who may be in need of extra assistance with their fuel bills which is probably all of us now at this stage yeah, yeah. um no it isn't it is it's something where I mean the OECD would recommend sort of delinking it from from sort of heaving fuels and looking at the overall eligibility and maybe looking at making it an annual payment. So there's lots of different ways that we can do this that really would help those those low income households.
2: Okay and one of our listeners said I live on a disability allowance, I get 208 euro a week I would be able to live on 350 euro a week which is what the pop payment uh, was I know in if you're on a disability allowance in Germany they certainly give more and I think when that, thank you for that to that listener, I know when they gave the when the POP payment was set at three hundred and fifty, people on long term social welfare were saying, you know, that's the figure we could live on. Yeah, yeah.
4: yeah.
5: Well I mean I I had I I, I was I, I worked with two people who lost their jobs in January of twenty twenty and would have gone straight on to 208 or two oh three at the time. And then two months later, had they lost their jobs due to COVID? So I think, again, it opens up that interesting conversation about deserving and undeserving. Why is one person deemed...
2: Worthy, worthy of more. But it it also Uh, opens up the debate of the government recognizing that to live—I mean, they're not talking about the luxuries, but to live, you know, um, and have a a, a, just a a normal standard of living, have a living wage. They were almost saying three fifty is the figure you need. Yeah, yeah. yeah. All yeah. right, listen, um, a great chat as always, Suzanne. Thank you for that. Thank and, you very much. Uh, b- our best wishes to Father Sean. We're big fans of him on the programme. And uh, <laughs> we'll chat again. Thank you. Thanks, Thanks a million. Bye-bye. 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 That is uh, Suzanne Rogers, who is with uh, Social Justice Ireland and she is their economic and social analysis as we wait. It'll happen sometime before the summer break, this uh, talk of the government introducing a mandatory national living wage. A lot of cause and cause Commentary coming in about various cemeteries across the city and county. Some positive, some not so positive, I have to say. Some seem to be in very, very poor condition indeed. And everybody making kind of the same, thing, the, the same message that, in fairness, C- Councillor Karen Coakley made. It's just showing utter disrespect to uh, the people who have died and are buried there and to the grieving families as well. I will get to those. You're
3: listening to Cork Today on replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed.
2: We were talking about uh, the cost of living and this notion of a living wage, a mandatory living wage and the possibility that it could be introduced into this uh, country. But, uh, you know, looking at what the government are saying, they'll look at it before the summer recess. But even if and when it is decided there's going to be a five-year lead-in because, you know, the argument will be the businesses, if they have to bring the minimum wage up to this living wage, they will need time to prepare for it. So it certainly isn't going to be a quick fix. But that got an interesting text then in about the whole cost of uh, living. From a listener to say that the UK government used middle-class food items to set their standards and Jack Monroe, who I had to do a quick Google search on who Jack Monroe uh, is, uh, she's actually, Jack, she's actually a female. She is, uh, she writes a lot of recipe books, but she's very much into how to cook on a budget. She's known as the bootstrap uh, chef. And uh, she is a best-selling author of a girl called Jack. So, cause I was getting confused. I saw Jack Monroe saying it's that it's not a man; it's a woman. Anyway, she highlighted that over twelve years, despite austerity measures and all the crises that we've had in energy and with COVID and all of that, an M and S meal for two price remained exactly the same. But the cheaper end food products that you buy in other supermarkets and um, probably in M&S as well, uh, they've increased between 50 and 300% while the volumes of some items have actually shrank. You'll buy a bag of pasta. It might be the same price as what you were paying six months ago, but when you look at it, there's less pasta in the bag. It's the same with bags of rice. So Jack Monroe was making the point that poorer families took the biggest hit. And if people want to check out Jack Monroe, if you Google boot, Strap Chef. She's a real, real champion and she actually provides daily recipes on how to feed families on as little as a pound a day. And I've just done a quick, while the news was on, just did a quick look. She's got some fantastic recipes on if people want to check that out. The Boot Strap Chef. Then uh, she might be able to give you some ideas for recipes and and doing it on a budget which can be really difficult indeed. Okay, lots and lots of calls and commentary in about graveyards and cemeteries and the condition thereof, including 18 saying Crosshaven Cemetery is not maintained they rarely cut the grass my mum does my dad's grave but that's it or else uh, people cut their own patch and lots of people do that lots of people try and look after their own patch as best they can but it's when the walkways are not maintained that you're into much bigger problems and obviously you can't expect um, people themselves to get out and start you know picking up the weeds on all of the uh, walkways. Also, um, uh, I was making the point that people spend and pay a lot of money when they buy... um, when they buy a plot, you know they don't come uh, cheap. And someone was making the point, and I can where that text is gone. Saying, "Well, wh- what did we, what did we end up paying local property tax for? Well, like local property tax money, money all goes into the centralised pot that's used then and divvied up for the councils. But we're back to the size of the county, and, and are we not getting enough allocation? And as Karen Coakley said, we need to increase the maintenance budget." For the graveyards, but we also need additional outdoor staff. Some of your texts in on this. John in Charleville says, Hi, Patricia, there's rubbish being dumped in the side of the front gate of the graveyard here in uh, Charleville. Also the gates are open to allow cars drive into the graveyard and because of that some of the cars are constantly breaking headstones. Permission for the gates to be let open was given by the council. Sad to say it really doesn't show respect for our dead which so many people are agreeing with Karen Coakley and one of the reasons the Karen brought it up at council 11. Mary says we have a graveyard here in West Limerick and it's very well kept. The only problem we have. Some people going into the graveyard with their dogs and allowing them to do their poo on the grave. That's just, that's utterly disrespectful and how ignorant and how rude of anyone that would allow a dog run loose in a graveyard and then, and okay, I have no problem of somebody bringing a dog with them if they're going to visit a grave, but keep him on a lead And have your bags with you and clean up after your dogs. That is utterly, utterly disrespectful. Peter Deneen says, hi, Patricia, the gates in Coachford graveyard are simply a disgrace. They're covered in rust and have been for years. The Community Council have asked Cork County Council to either repaint or replace the gates, but nothing has ever been done. It'd break your heart to see them. They're in such a poor, poor state. Some of your calls then into John Paul. Tom in Bantry was on to say that the Abbey Graveyard in Bantry very overgrown and could really do with a good bit of a cleaning up. There's no pathways around the graveyard. Also in that graveyard there's a tomb which is falling apart. It really needs to be repaired if nothing else out of respect to whoever is buried in that tomb. The This is Ellen in Cana to say the Knock Moran Graveyard in Conner and the Moghili. Graveyards, very well maintained. So, compliments to the caretakers that look after those graveyards so well. Michael is in Naknehini. He's got a suggestion. It says, could they not bring prisoners out of Cork Prison in a kind of a chain gang situation and let them work on the graveyards? <sighs> Would do others agree? I don't know. With civil liberty, would would you have civil rights groups saying that that's you can't ask prisoners uh, to do that? It's bad enough that they're being locked up, without sending them out on a chain gang to clean up graveyards. Maybe some of the prisoners would willingly like to go out on day release and help out cleaning up of uh, graveyards. It's it's very possible, but I don't know. It'll be a very brave politician, our Minister for Justice, that would decide to introduce that. Thank you for your call, uh, Michael. Miriam is in Donnera. She said, we've got two cemeteries in the Donerail area. One is in Old Court and there is a John Ryan who's the caretaker there. He does a fantastic job. It is a credit to him. And then the other graveyard in our area is in Aglish. And it's a John Daly who's the caretaker then. Uh, there. And again, a great job of credit to them. So well done to the two Johns looking after the graveyards in the Donnerale area. And like, that's what we're saying, you know, call out the good graveyards that are well maintained as well. John is in Cove, said, uh, we as people elect county councillors to look after the affairs of the county county and the towns. But where are these councillors now? Why are they not tackling this issue for all of the county? In fairness, when I introduced my piece with Councillor Karen Coakley, I did say there was a very, very lengthy debate at County Hall on this issue. And I would say practically I saw a newspaper article on it and I would say every single councillor had a story to tell because they're hearing about it from their constituents. So, you know, they're doing the best that they can. They're relaying it back to the council executive and then the council executive will say they're doing their best to try to get as much work done as possible. But we simply don't have enough outdoor staff at the council. Say the amount of outdoor staff that we had back in the 70s, 80s was from the 90s onwards we started reducing our outdoor staff and yet the same amount of work needs to be done but it has to be done with fewer staff 0818 uh, 103, 103 Dennis is on the banning of uh, turf so 100% Turf banning cut will be introduced and Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael will try and uh, fight it. But Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael without the Greens will not remain in power. They won't call a general election over a turf banning uh, cut as the opinion polls say they would be crucified if they went to the polls now. So Barry Cowan and all of the other backbench TDs who've been jumping up and down and giving out about this proposal that's to come in in uh, September can get back in their box because nothing will be done with it at the end of the day. It is the Greens who are the ones that have the real power in government at the moment, and that is from uh, Dennis to oh eight six two one zero three one zero three. Okay, I'm going. Let me stay on graveyards for a moment because Joe in Kilmaic is on the line. Good morning to Joe. Good
1: morning, Patricia. Good okay. morning. I'm listening to you there. I'm. I just want to mention um, a graveyard there. It's called Malu. Malu. It's over, It's, Maloo, Maloo, uh, it's uh, over there by Martins Town,
2: near Kilfinnan.
1: Near Kilfinnan, that's okay. right. Yeah. And you to, and uh, if you're going in there during the wintertime and you're carrying the coffin, you have to go right through a field and go, uh, go, in to, go into the graveyard. And people going in there and they're sinking down through the
2: mud. Yeah. The only access to the graveyard is through a field.
1: Through a field, over Maloo, there's the place they call Maloo Well. It's, is, it, it's, is it an old graveyard? It's an old graveyard, but there's still people being uh, buried there. And there's no road, no access to it. Now, the, the only access is go through the field, and you have to carry a coffin. And it during the winter time, it's sinking. There was undertakers who, who asked the council about that, but nothing was ever done about it.
2: And once upon a time, was there a road into Maloo? Never,
1: never a road. You have to go through the field at all times, and you have to carry the coffin in there. And the people walking, uh, the, the women walking there, and the shoes during the winter time, particularly, you'd be so you'll be soaked and you would be sinking through the field
2: and people who go to visit their loved ones graves the,
1: the same thing if you're going to see a grave you have to go through the field and who owns the, the field the field the field is, it would be would be privately owned I'd say and uh, but the, the council are involved with that grave they should be they, they tidy up the grave like you know but it is a mess going through there during the funeral
2: and is and, the and is the graveyard maintained uh, kind of Kind of. Okay. Kind of. Yeah. Goodness me, I've never, I don't think I've ever come across a graveyard where people are plotting. Pl- ploughing through two uh, fields. Oh, yes,
1: you have to go through, you have to go through well, fields from the field from the main road, it's called well, Maloo. OK, uh, but as there, you say, there's it's, there's an that old, it's, an old, it's an
2: old grey, it's an old
1: it's grey. It's an old, yeah, it is, but yeah. people are still being uh, buried over there.
2: Yeah, yeah, well, well, if they've been buried over there, there should be some access uh, into, a proper access into it, Oh, it there's
1: seems... nothing, nothing there at all, whatsoever. and um, I don't know what the situation is or is it not being allowed or what, but... Uh, yeah, but
2: even for the family members going to visit but, their loved ones.
1: Yes, but, uh, yes. Yeah. but there was undertakers here in Kilmalachary area. And and, uh, and they're, they're, they they asked About that, a few years ago, but nothing ever came out of it. All
2: right. All right, Joe, thank you for that. Thank you very Uh, much. Thanks uh, for joining us, Joe, in uh, Kilmallock 0818 103 103. C103 Jobs.
3: With Munster Technological University, enhance your career prospects with MTU's range of full time, part time, and professional courses. Succeeding together with MTU.ie.
2: Customer Service Representative is required for ingredient solutions. CVs, please, to Esther. Ingredientsolutions.ie. An excavator driver is wanted for work in Cork City. CVs to jobs at HamiltonFrench.com. Smith Centre, they're in Kinsale. They're looking for an assistant manager. You need to email HRKinsale at centra.ie and a qualified accountant is required for a full-time position in Bandham. Email info at lloydbowmaker.com You'll find all the details and many more job opportunities by going online now. Just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more. This is C103.
0: Court today on C103.
3: With Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. for motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance, cmig.ie.
2: While we're all doing what we can to house and look after those fleeing the war in U- Ukraine, everybody accepts that Poland as a country is the one taking in the most war refugees. My next guest describes herself as an ordinary woman from Clonakilty who now lives in Kras- Krakow in Poland, and is witnessing at first hand the plight of the people arriving there. Elaine O'Reilly joins me to outline how she has been uh, helping out. Good morning to you, Elaine. Good morning. Thanks for having me. Well, listen, it's it's a real pleasure, and uh, thank you for, for joining us. I suppose talk to us first about what sort of numbers are you seeing arriving in in Krakow and, or in Poland in general.
6: I believe in Poland in general uh, we've had 2.6 million come in total within the whole country. Krakow, where I am, it was just, it's something that I've never seen before. I think we've had uh, 150,000 come in, which is about 20% of the current population of, of Krakow. So 20% increase within a couple of weeks. So you can imagine the the effect that that had. Um, it was just very, very surreal to witness.
2: And, Elaine, where have they been housed?
6: So, it's, it's a mixture. Um, there's registers set up for people who have accommodation who can provide that for them. Um, fire stations have been turning their halls um, into to large units. Um, retirement homes have been taking people, uh town 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 facilities like community halls, um just like on Kilke in, in Cork at the moment. Um, everywhere and anywhere that has any space. Nunneries. Um anywhere. Anywhere that has space.
2: Yeah, it's it's incredible the the numbers, the actual physical numbers that uh, Poland has has been taking it, and you know certainly watching it on the news. I mean, goodness me, the people of Poland have just opened. I think up. when
6: you see the numbers yeah. uh, and you hear the numbers, you you think wow, but when you actually see it with your eyes, it's 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 incredible. There was times when, in those early weeks, when I was running to get supplies and whatnot, and I couldn't even hear Polish being spoken on the streets. All I could hear was Ukrainian.
2: And do uh, many do many Elaine arrive with literally just the clothes on their back?
6: Literally, the clothes on their back, uh, a backpack, maybe uh, like um, uh, a shopping bag with a couple of bits. That's exactly how it is. What you're seeing on the news is exactly what is happening.
2: And in the main, women and children, very few men.
6: Yeah, yeah, I've seen a few men, but it is um, predominantly women and children. Yeah. Elderly people? Elderly also. So uh, a family that I have close by me here that we're helping through the, the donations um, from Ireland. Uh, she is it's a young mum, my own age. She has two kids, uh, seven months and 17 months or six months and 17 months. And she has her two mums, her mom and her mother-in-law. Um, and here in my own complex where I'm living, I'm just, I've am just i seen a huge increase of older people with grandchildren, um, all Ukrainians.
2: And and that little family that you're helping out, God, they're two very young uh, children. Two very, what, very... What, what did they arrive with?
6: So she was fortunate that she had a car, so... Um, in the middle of the night, the sirens went off, and she was, she told me, um, bless her heart, she was a very nervous driver as it was in Ukraine. She didn't drive very much, she only drove when she had to, but the sirens went off. They grabbed what they could, and her, her two mothers, and her two babies jumped in the car and drove off. Now, she said as she was driving, there were bombs going off as she was driving away, so she had no choice. She had to drive. Um, and she actually told me she drove for 36 hours straight. She did not stop once because she couldn't. Um, she, the babies did not get changed. Their Nazis were not changed one time. Um, she fed the babies while she was driving. The fear she must have
2: felt. That literally is fleeing war. You're, you're fleeing war, fleeing yeah. for your life and the yeah. life of your babies and, and your mom it. and your mother. My God, I, I can't, actually, I can't even fathom them. Um,
6: even medical issues, just because of how they fled. So, because there was no nappy changes in her first week, she was in and out of doctors with the smallest baby because he was in that one nappy. Uh, and actually ended up in hospital. They had a hospital stay here. Can you imagine, like, seeing a war and being in a country where you don't speak the language and then ending up in hospital with your with your smallest? It must be terrifying.
2: So you you, you decided very early on, Elaine, to set up this Facebook page, Klanakilty to Krakow. Mm. Talk, very early. Enough. Yeah, talk to me about the response so far.
6: So this wasn't actually intended to be a, a big scale um, fundraiser. It was a few friends and family contacted me very early on about how could, how can they help because I'm here on the ground. Um, so I, I set up a little page, thinking it was going to be just a small intimate group um, with my bank details. And within 24 hours, the amount of private messages I got, the amount of donations I got, I actually had to send off set up a PayPal and a Revolut um, because there were so many people wanting to donate. I couldn't believe it. Um, Hilti in Cork has just the response. I I cannot describe how incredible they've been. Um, we've had repeat donors. We've had um, uh, groups and clubs collecting and then donating. Uh, just it, it's phenomenal what what people can do when they get together. We've had donations from Canada. We've had one from Iceland. <laughs> we've had. Um, yeah, <laughs> really.
2: It's just and 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 what I love about your page, Elaine. You'll share a story. You'll explain. This is what I need, and this is why I need it.
6: Yeah, yeah. It has to be thorough. This is not my money. Um, this is people's hard-earned wages that they're they're wanting to help. So it it is my duty. It's it's all of our duty to help in this situation. Um, but it's my duty to be clear and and transparent.
2: And give us examples of how and what you've actually done, how you've actually helped individuals.
6: So initially we were we were um, responding to immediate requests here within Poland. So we had requests that uh, a list of medical supplies were needed for one transportation going in into Ukraine. So we, we got uh, a box of that. We sent that in, that was a uh, thousand And from there there were small requests coming that we did, but my husband then met um, uh, a man who has a group here. They're also a charitable organization who um, set up a food collection point here in Krakow. And what he did was he, he has connections through, through the city. He, he fundraises a lot. He got a premises, donated to him. Um, they put up shelves. They started requesting donations of food, cosmetics, feminine products, baby products, what you would imagine a refugee might need. Um, And he was receiving huge donations coming through companies, civilians, normal people like you and I, of uh, specific lists of of groceries. What happens then is that um, the Ukrainian refugees can come, they queue, they have their passport, their information is taken. And just to keep control and to make sure there's something for everybody – Uh, They could come twice a week, and they were given grocery bags, and they could take um, what they needed from here, um, free of charge. Uh, And these points were so important to them because, um, as I have found out, they're not getting immediate financial help. So they're relying on these humanitarian points to get the basics to eat every day.
2: Um, so, un, un, the, unlike people. what's happening here, where when the refugees arrive, they're entitled to social welfare, that's not happening in Poland. But yeah, obviously, so but, 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 it, but, it, but it can't, Elaine, with 2.6 million, it financially also wouldn't it was, be possible. It was an
6: overnight situation. So yeah. For example, Ireland has had a lot of time to prepare for incomers. Yeah. With us here, it was overnight. Boom, it was just like a flood coming in. Um, now they can, they can apply for they, and they're advised to apply for a PESL, which is the equivalent to the PPS number in Ireland. Okay. Um, And with that, once they have that, I mean, to get it is another circus. It's a huge problem to even get this. But once they get it, they're entitled to Pientis, which is the equivalent to uh, children's allowance each of their children. And are they entitled Uh to
2: work? Because here a lot of the... you You have to get this
6: PESO. You have to get the equivalent of the PPS to get a job. But then with this also you can get education, the kids can get into school. Um, They have free healthcare here whether they have the PESO number or not. Um, as refugees they can get the free health care but with the they will get the um discount on medication for example okay,
2: okay. Um, and and the refugees that you've been interacting with uh, elaine mm-hmm. are they sharing their stories of what they witnessed before they left
6: some are very forthcoming um i was speaking with a doctor uh, yesterday uh, she was very forthcoming but i think she's in this field her husband is a journalist so she was very very open um the family i'm very close with um she she did take a, a few weeks to not to warm up but to let her guard down um you can imagine the the terror they've been through the, this new life that they've no choice they're in this life now um it's definitely taking them a little bit of time to relax they're extremely appreciative of everything they can't say thank you enough um, but it's only in the last week or so she's been, you know, uh open and telling me stories and sending me pictures of her family. She sent me pictures of her husband who's over there right now. She's actually from Bucha. Um yeah. So that broke my heart alone when I heard that. Um so her husband is going back to Bucha now to try and help clean it up. Um She sent me pictures of her babies because I haven't seen them yet. They were in and out of the hospital and and the clinics. um, And her words were... I'd like you to see
2: the faces of the family you're helping so much. Oh, she got help, her. yeah. Uh, and the horror story that's coming out of Buccia, thank God she she yeah. she yeah. Um, she got she got out of there. And oh you know, goodness. and I yeah. think I think the whole of the world can be very proud of how Poland has, has stepped up. Um, and I was thinking about this the other day. You know, the the Polish it's probably in their their DNA. They were once war refugees themselves, and they suffered so yeah. horrifically during the Second yeah. World War. They would be people who'll you know, will have grown up listening to those stories from parents and grandparents. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
6: And they're they're just more than willing. They're they're jumping at, at, at helping in any way they can. The the civilians here in Poland I have been completely taken aback by just the generosity and, and the, the the concern they have it was just wow for me. I, I was lost for words.
2: Yeah. And the kindness of strangers—I think it always—it always comes to the fore. And and how long have you been living in Poland, Elaine?
6: I'm here eight years now.
2: Eight years, and um, eight years, and obviously you were there through all the pandemic, so you weren't able to get home, were you?
6: I wasn't able to get
2: home, and (laughs) and on top of that, um, the the week
6: after it hit, uh, where the hospital was not shut down, I went in to give birth, so. Um, my, my, Michal
2: was told at the door, I'm sorry, <laughs> she has to come in alone. <laughs> oh, goodness, that's, uh, that, you, is yes. your, is your husband Polish? He's Polish, he's, he's from Polish, Okay. Yeah. So when were you last home? Uh, we actually got
6: home for Christmas this year. That ah. was the first time we had been home in about three years, actually.
2: Yeah, yeah, it's been so tough on yeah. people, uh, people living over, uh, yeah. overseas. Do you see an end in sight, Elaine, to this dreadful, dreadful war?
6: I mean, there has to be, doesn't there? But it's hard. It's hard to see it now because even when the day comes that they can go back to Ukraine, really they can't go back immediately. There's nothing to go back to. It's torn, torn apart. Like uh, Daria cannot go straight back to Bucha. Her home is gone. Um, she has to wait for something to to go back to. You know, what's frightening is it's not just the help that they need here for this moment in time, which is huge, but it's Further down the line, how much help are they going to need to to rebuild and to get back to where they are? And many of them have spoken to me, um, saying that you know they'll find a way to get food, they'll find a way to get their clothes here because there's so many helping hands. The bigger issue for them at the moment is their mental state. Yeah, um, which is it's so upsetting, it's heartbreaking
2: yeah stressful it's dreadful. It is, it's just and the, the rebuilding of the country is just going to take uh, so much oh, time so so ukraine. much time but uh, and w- would you be fearful of poland and putin and if you know if if no he, he's not going to achieve what he set out to achieve in ukraine but was there ever a fear factor that he might push through into poland i'm not
6: going to lie uh, for me there was a slight one um and, and I had many, many people contacted me saying, Elaine, pack your bags, get, get the boys home. Um, very, very slight one at the beginning. Um, and I think it was just initial fear. But overall, no, 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 no. Uh, I'm very confident in staying
2: here, yeah. Okay. Yeah, we're fine. All right. Listen, you stay safe, uh, Elaine, and well done. Thanks It's, it's so incredible much. Thank what you, you and your husband are doing. And Klonikilti to Krakow is the Facebook page. I encourage people to check it out. It's a great Facebook page. And yes. if anybody wants to throw a few Bob Elaine's way, you're guaranteed that it's getting to the people on the ground. Listen, Elaine, a real pleasure talking to you. Thank you for that. And thanks I'm for joining worried. us.
6: Thanks, a million. Good
2: morning to you. Bye bye. Bye bye. Thank you. Bye. Our bye. afternoon, as it is now in Poland, that is Elaine O'Reilly, a native. Of a clan, but living in Krakow, doing her bit to help out with the Ukrainian war refugees. 0818, we can very proud of her. 0818 103 103. John Paul, taking your calls. You can text, you can WhatsApp to 0862 103
0: 103. Court today on C103.
3: With John Cusack Insurance's as Kinsale, Now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. And
2: we're going to abandon guard the station for this week's Guard the firework. I'm joined by Garda Francis Murphy. Good morning to you, Francis. Good morning, Patricia. You're very welcome. And we start with something that I'm fearful we might see a lot more of, and this is to do with the theft of oil, with oil now being so expensive.
7: Yes, Patricia, this is the worry that we may have that the increase in this type of incident will occur. Recently, there was an incident um, on the 10th of April, the injured Party noticed that his oil tank had been interfered with. So on examining it, he realised that the lock had been not broken, but turned in such a way that the oil had been drained from the tank. You know, oil fuses or oil prices are increasing and this could make this a problem going forward. So we would just ask people to keep it in mind and to try and have extra security on their tanks, you know, on their property.
2: Secure it as as best you can. And uh, unfortunately, in recent days, you've seen an increase in burglaries.
7: Yes. Um, In recent days, Patricia, um, we've had a few burglaries. Um, On the 8th of April, we had one here in the Rough Grove area in Bandon. This occurred during the day while the premises was vacant. Interior was gained um, through an unlocked door in the shed. Um, Windows were also broken. On this occasion, there was, you know, no items were removed, but there was interference to a boiler, which again it appears that they could have been trying to remove oil in this incident.
2: Okay, and then there was one in Hassig the following day.
7: The 9th of April, um, we had one in Ballonhasig where, again, access was gained through a front window in the house where the glass was smashed and entry was gained. The house was ransacked and there was a quantity of cash and documents were taken. So, you know, again, we're advising people you know, not to be keeping cash in the house. Use your lighting, you know, if you're out of the house. Set up maybe timers. If, even if you are at home, it's it's so important to have lights on all the time. Secure your doors and your windows. If you have an alarm, use it. Yeah. So, you know, the amount of people that have alarms fitted have gone to the expense and they're not using them. Um. You know, if you are going away, especially Easter break now. People might be going away on short staycations. Let your neighbours know. Let your friends know. If you are going to be away and the house is going to be vacant you can also pick up the phone notify your local guardian. We can record that the house will be vacant from such a
2: date. Yeah, such a and they, can get, they can keep an eye but it's, but it's, it's locking up. It's just amazing how uh, some people think oh, I'm only you know, nipping out to the shop or uh, they might lock the front door forget to lock the back door or vice versa. You need to all of the time be aware that when the house is empty there's a possibility it could be broken into
7: this is it and we look everyone lets their guard down at times no. but I, we are stressing to people to you know be more careful lock up and light up
2: ok there was a commercial premises broken into now this was earlier in April the 5th
7: yes just going back to the 5th of April there um, it was a commercial um, burglary it a, a occurred on a premises in the Crookstone area Culprits broke window, gained access to the premises. Um, they didn't waste any time. They were in and out in a matter of minutes. Uh, they did get a large quantity of cigarettes uh, And at, on this occasion. Again, we're just appealing anyone that has any information, McCroom and are investigating this, if you could contact them on 02620590 with any information.
2: And of course, things like cigarettes, they're so easy to sell on. It's as good as stealing cash, isn't it?
7: Yes, unfortunately. Um, there's a You know, they're not going to have any problems to, to get rid of them. Our advice there, I suppose, to commercial premises is, you know, when they are closed, when the premises is closed, just to make sure that their stock is stored securely. You know, these people are opportunists. They're looking for easy targets, so why make it easy for them?
2: Yeah, yeah. Okay, you want to talk to us about Community Engagement Day?
7: Yes, this is an upcoming com- event on the twenty seventh of April. Um, the Garda Community Engagement Bureau. They're, they're coordinating a National Community Enga- Engagement Day. Uh, this involves local community Garda- um members, branch members of the IFA, and representatives from community groups involved in the National Rural Safety Forum. This basically is to engage the people of the local community uh, just to meet their local guardie. there There'll be two or three stands in each Garda district on the day. Near the time, we will have the exact locations. They have to be confirmed
2: yet. OK, OK, let, uh, let us know. And, of course, there's centenary celebrations going on for the 100th anniversary of Angar the which is this year.
7: Yes, yes. Um, It's a a great celebration. Yesterday, here in Band and Garda Station, we celebrated the 100 years of Angarda Shikona. This was coordinated by Superintendent Brendan Fogarty. Uh, There was a march through the town led by the Garda Band, joined by serving members. Uh, Also, a lot of retired members joined us. Uh, Chief Superintendent Con Cadigan laid a reed outside the old barracks um, in memory of the members. Uh, County Mayor Gillian Cochran unveiled the plaque just here outside the, the new Garda station where we currently work out of. And Vincent Duggan, who's a retired member of Engarda Shikana, put together and said a few words about the first members that arrived here in Bandon in 1922.
2: That's quite a special day. And then you, you had a bit of an open day then at the station afterwards.
7: We did. It was great. a brilliant, very enjoyable day, Patricia. Um, the members of the public joined us for refreshments. It was a great success. Um, we had different units present. We had the armed support unit. We had the mounted unit down from Dublin, the dog unit.
2: Brilliant. That's
7: great. Um to Natura had a stand here and banding community Alert. It was a, an absolute lovely day. And, you know, we'd like to thank all the people of Bandon and the surrounding areas for attending, making it a very special day for everyone to remember.
2: And of course there, it's the 100th centenary of Angardish Yukona all over the country, not just in uh, Bandon. And there's an event coming up to market in Kinsale uh, later on in the month.
7: That's right, yeah. There's an upcoming event in Kinsale on the 24th of April, again to celebrate the centenary of Angardish Yukona. um, There'll be an ecumenical service in St. John the Baptist Church on the day at 2pm. This is open to everyone, public, all are welcome. Again, we will be then marching from the church up towards uh, Temperance Hall and there will be a by County Mayor Gillian Coughlin uh, other emergency services will also parade on the day with the Guardy Okay,
2: similar to what you did in Bandon yesterday. Okay, that's in Kinsale on the twenty fourth of uh, April. Listen, we leave it uh, there. And I'm good to hear that you had such a great day yesterday, Francis. And thank you as always for joining us on the program.
7: Thank you very much, Patricia. Good can we- I just mention one thing before you I can, go? You can. Just it's come to my attention again, and I keep harping on about it. Is fraud and economic crime? Just to warn people, this is continuing to be a huge problem. You know, people please, just be very careful. We can't stress enough. you know there's a lot of scams going around, people are continuing to be ca- cut out, so you know, if you don't believe it's true, just just contact your local bank, there's phone calls, there's links, don't click on any links just to keep it and be, be
2: vigilant. Anything unsolicited that comes in by text or email by call, be wary. All right, exactly. listen, Francis, thank you for that and thanks thank for so joining us.
3: You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed.
2: Actually, when we're, I was talking with uh, Elaine O'Reilly, a native of Klanakilty, living in Krakow in Poland, she's talking about the great work that she is doing in helping out refugees that she's coming across in uh, Krakow and she's able to do it because of the generosity of family and friends in the Klanakilty uh, area who are giving her the n- means, the money and the items that she needs and then she's able to get it out to people on the ground. That prompted somebody said, Patricia, have you heard anything from Eugene O'Sullivan and his family from Bantry? They are living in Ukraine. and does Know him well. I don't know if Elaine would know him. Uh, She's in. Krakow in Poland and of course uh, Eugene is in Ukraine but it's interesting um, and coincidental that you mentioned Eugene today uh, because we put a call through to him and he's going to be joining us tomorrow because we haven't caught up with him in a couple of weeks and we want to see how he and his little family are getting on in Ukraine so he'll be joining us tomorrow on the programme to that listener who sent in the text now still getting reaction in on graveyards and condition of uh, graveyards and we had one of our listeners who had suggested that could we not set up, could court Cork prison and um, I'm assuming that the, the uh, Michael would say prisons all over the country and kind of do the old fashioned chain gang The prisoners would come out of prison every day and they'd do so many hours work and they'd go into graveyards and they'd clean up graveyards. It was a suggestion from Michael. Well that really annoyed Billy in North Cork says does that fellow Michael think we live in America back in the 40s and the 50s when we had prison chain gangs we don't have them anymore. Billy in North Cork has a suggestion from Michael why don't you go out and clean up graveyards yourself because Billy is speaking from experience he says he does work cleaning up his own local uh, graveyard uh, Billy very much against that suggestion somebody else thought it was a terrific idea and this listener would go one step further not just take prisoners out to clean up the graveyards anyone who is on long term unemployed should be made to work for their dole money and some of the work could be cleaning up graveyards on that are we where, where are we going where are we going uh, with that okay just um just let me stay on graveyards for a sec because there's a number of comments in on it as well. Bridget says she's actually been looking for somebody to clean up a grave in the Middleton and Lisgould area, kind of a handyman but she hasn't been able to find anyone uh, who would be willing to help and obviously she's willing to pay somebody so we've taken a note of Bridget's details if there's anybody in the Middleton and Lisgould area that would do work like that cleaning up a grave, now I don't know what type of work does it need to be sandblasted or what needs to be done but if any anybody- thinks that they can help out Bridget in the Middleton schooled area we've got Bridget's details if you want to get on to us and we can share the details of uh, or take your number and get Bridget to give you a call. Angela was on from Kilbrin she wants to compliment whoever it is is in charge of the graveyard in Kilbrin uh, they, there's, oh, or there's their volunteers sorry who go in there twice a month she said it's an absolute credit to them so that's going back to local people deciding well if the council don't have the funds of the resources to do it then we'll do something ourselves and they collectively get together and about twice a month they go out and they clean up the graveyard so well done to that voluntary group in Kilbrin Mary's in Don Manway and she said why do people expect that there'll be somebody else to clean up their graveyard we all seem to some people seem to expect that there'll be people there to clean up our towns and villages they want people on schemes like the CE schemes to do it if you want to maintain something get out and do it yourself says Mary in Dunmanway. If you see weeds growing on a grave or near a grave, don't be relying on others uh, to do it or relying on schemes. We all need to start helping out, says Mary in Dunmanway. Thank you for that, uh, Mary on refugees. Mary says politicians need to act collectively more instead of sniping at each other in the doll about what should and shouldn't be done. Can they not all just please come together and provide housing for the Ukrainian? refugees instead of trying to have political scoring between each other. Isn't that the nature of Politics, So there's always the opposition and there's always those in power and there'll always be one sniping at the other. And Declan Hurley has posted, this is Staying with Refugees, De- Declan Hurley has posted on his social media last night that Cork County Council have been asked to identify possible emergency rest centres for Ukrainian refugees. And this call has gone out to local authorities all over the country. And the, what they've all been asked to do See what you have in your area, identify what could be used as rest centres for Ukrainian refugees and then have them on standby, ready to go in case the emergency arises, particularly over the Easter weekend because based on the numbers that have been coming in, there is a fear that they're going to run out of The hotels and the B&Bs that they have been using and the convents and other buildings that they've been using so far are full. We're getting full to capacity. So the powers that be, I'm I'm assuming the Red Cross very much involved with this, with the government have put every single county council on standby to say identify anything in your area that can be used as rest centres. And rest centres are where, you know, they put in camp beds, sleeping bags exactly as it says, it's an emergency rest centre and then the idea is that the people would go there when they arrive and then from there they get, they then are found suitable accommodation. So, Declan Hardy, Councillor Declan Hurley in was on to say that the first floor of the Dunmanway Pool Building it's the gym area, that's been identified as a space that is now going to be available and on standby should the need arise. But as a consequence of that, the gym space is now closed to the public. The pool will run as per the timetable. But the gym will be out of action at the moment because it's on standby to be used as a rest centre. And actually, I saw Christopher O'Sullivan, Deputy Christopher O'Sullivan, West Cork, Fianna Fall, uh, TD, it was yesterday or the day before, uh, put up a piece with a picture of the Kilty Rest Centre, which was in the community hall. And it's a picture of just rows and rows of camp beds and it looks like sleeping bags and pillows on them. But Christopher Sullivan put up a piece to say that the Ukrainian refugees have, have moved out been moved by the Civil Defence from the Clonakilty Rest Centre. They've all gone into new accommodation locations. I don't know whether they were dispersed around West Cork or where uh, where they have gone. And the community hall now has been closed until it's brought up to an acceptable fire safety uh, standard and Christopher said in his posting on Facebook that we need to do better the communication from the top down needs to improve dramatically he says there will be many more refugees fleeing this terrible invasion so I don't know the issue obviously to do with fire safety because when we're bringing these poor people in that are fleeing from a war situation we don't want to put them into somewhere where they could be then a danger because of, of fire safety so that's been closed off at the moment While well, that's been brought up to scratch but the Dunman Way pool building the gym area has been identified and therefore is closed off to the public and that's in from Declan Hurley I've been asked to mention that Bingo is on in Banting GAA Club tonight at nine glad to give that a mention thank you to somebody else by text to say Patricia you know somebody rang you yesterday looking for lining paper yeah it was the lady in Bandon was looking for lining paper where somebody said, just to let you know I saw lining paper in the charity shop near the wheel pump in Clannacilty and it was there yesterday, if you want to tell that listener would be able to get a bargain by if she can get out to the charity shop. Don't know how much lining paper is available but it's in the charity shop near the wheel pump in Clannacilty. Thank you to whoever that listener uh, is. We were talking about a living wage earlier on in the programme and it was tied in with the pop pan- the payment and now that was 350 Euro. When you look at the average uh, social welfare payment, is two hundred and eight, which is a long way off three hundred and a fifty. In the suggestion uh, being, I'm not saying a living wage would go to three hundred and fifty a euro, but if it did, would social welfare increases also uh, rise? Somebody says, Patricia, I think if they they did if that a suggestion was ever made of putting a social welfare payment up to €350 euro per week, that would result in a major shortage of staff right across the board. It would be very hard for employers to get staff to work if they can be guaranteed €350 euro for just sitting at home. And wasn't that a bit of a problem with the pandemic payment? When places started to open up, they found it very hard to get staff to come in because in many cases, if they were going in on a minimum wage job, they might be just close to the three hundred and fifty or a little bit over it, and you can understand people saying well if I'm going to get the same amount for staying at home, why would I why would I go into work? Not everybody, not everybody, but certainly there was some. Hi, Patricia, good morning to you. Is there any truth in the rumour that the doll is going to take on another nineteen uh, politicians? <laughs> well it, it isn't a rumour. Um it is true. Um the next general election, there will be an additional 19 new TDs. And this is all down to our growing population. We currently have 160 TDs in Leinster House but that could increase to as many as 179, which this listener is right, an extra 19 after the next election. And of course, our next election, if this current government lasts, will happen in 2025. The Housing Minister, Dara O'Brien, brought a memo to Cabinet yesterday seeking approval on the drafting of amendments to the Electoral Reform Bill and the Constitution. That's that sets out how many TDs we should we should have. The Constitution provides that there must be at least one TD for every twenty to thirty thousand people. Now, based on current estimates, and remember, there is a census going on, so this figure could even be higher. But based on the current estimates, there are just over five million people living in Ireland. That means that by the next election, the twenty twenty five election, there will be no fewer. Then 169 TDs, which would be an additional nine and no more then 179, which would be additional 19. The Boundary Commission, meanwhile, they'll have to take a look at redrawing all constituencies and that is all going to be based on population spread. And I know people are going to say, well, if we get another 19 TDs, what is that going to cost? Well, a TD's basic salary is just over €100,000 per uh, year. So, if you were to have nine additional TDs, that's basing, if they go with the figure of... Of one TD to every thirty thousand people, and they take on an additional nine. That means just under a million would be what it cost. It cost, and if they go with a higher figure of nineteen, it would be one point nine million extra a year. And this has happened before. The numbers they don't always go up; they go down as well. I take you back to twenty sixteen election. The number of TDs actually fell because. The population count was lower and it fell from there was 166 it went down to 157 and then the 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 total went back up to 160 where it is now and that was following our last election in February of 2020 so it isn't a vicious rumour that's doing the rounds, it is more than likely that we could have up to 19 new TDs 0818 103, 103. we are in particular looking for your Pet questions, uh, please jump all taking the questions you can text or WhatsApp your pet questions as well to 0862-103-103
0: The C103 Cork Diary With
3: Cork County Council delivering roads and housing community and business supports all across the county see CorkCoco.ie.
2: the Community Development they've got their weekly lotto draw it's in the local community office this afternoon at four they have a jackpot of 3,000 uh, euro and all are invited to take part in a Climb with Charlie fundraiser by joining Mallow Community Health Project and the Strollers Walking Group. They're meeting at the Nagle Centre in Kilavallon at 2 o'clock today. The walk is about 45 minutes if you're planning on going. You're advised to wear good walking shoes as there is a rugged, rugged section that will be slippery and it will be slippery because the day is wet. All donations, as always, from the Climb with Charlie will go to the Irish Motor Neuron Disease Association and Pieta House. And an Easter art exhibition in aid of cancer charities will be held in Inishannon Village Hall. It opens tomorrow, Good Friday, 6pm and it runs up to and including Easter Monday. There's over 100 pieces of art exhibited and the local organisers who are the French family, French family hope that there's something to suit every pocket. And a Texas Hold'em card game in aid of St Mary's Alzheimer's Day Centre in Mallow is going ahead tomorrow night that this is a rescheduled Event it's tomorrow afternoon, four o'clock in Malo GAA complex in Carrigoon. Tickets are priced at 20 euro. Available from the Mousetrap Bar or by contacting the organiser who's Billy O'Connell on 087-7873478. And by the way, anyone who purchased tickets for the previous cancel event due to the pandemic, please come along as your ticket will be valid for the event tomorrow afternoon.
0: Court today on C103.
3: With Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale. Now Now, Of McCarthy Insurance Group, promoter, home, business, farm, life, and health insurance, CMIG.ie.
0: This is the Court Today replay on C103.
2: Our Morris is trying to stay very positive uh, today and says, with the help of God, the war in the Ukraine will be over before next winter and then the oil prices will settle down. Uh, we as people, we need to be optimistic. Hopefully we'll have a fine summer and people will be able to turn the heating off for a longer period of time. We need to pray for peace. That's from Morris. Thank you for that, uh, Morris. Well, somebody else says, are the, Irish, are, are the Irish being looked after when it comes to housing by the council? Have they been forgotten about? Again, I know the Ukrainian people, what they are going through, they are fleeing war, but what about the Irish people who are looking for housing? Martin Inframoy heard me mention that there could be an increase of up to 19 new TDs after the next general election in 2025 and he ponders, are we having a laugh? He says 19 more will do absolutely nothing and get well paid for uh, it and uh, who also suggests why don't the government members leave the graveyards Um. And thank you Martin and then a listener says the texter who says that long term unemployed should be made to go out and work for their dole and clean the graveyards I would do it no bother if I had the equipment and the transport but I haven't either I hope that that man will remember what it's like being out of work and maybe he will be in time as none of us know from one day to the next if our job is secure or not nobody knows what's ahead of us and remember we're worn out trying to get work you can't get so Social welfare, unless you're cooperating with the Department of Social Protection and you must be actively looking for work, even to do charity work, you need permission. That's obviously from somebody who is, I don't know if they're long term unemployed, but certainly unemployed. Thank you for your text to 086 to 103, 103. Let me go back to graveyards. We had a huge, huge reaction on that and on, on the condition of some graveyards. And we've kind of a divide. We've got people who are complaining, saying that the council should be doing it all. And then we've another group of people who are saying that graveyards in their area are in great condition. Why? Because people locally have got together and have volunteered. Danny Infomoy has contacted the programme. Good afternoon to you, Danny. Good afternoon, Tisha. Now, you had a similar problem with uh, a graveyard in Firmoy in in atrocious condition.
8: Yeah, Castle Hyde graveyard. I'm a retired community employment supervisor and I retired in 2016, but for 22 years before that, I looked after all the sports clubs in my and three graveyards, namely Castle Hyde, uh, the famine graveyard and old, old Kill Trumper And it's just that um, the last year Hyde wasn't looked after as well as it should be, i just put it that way. So there was t- tall grass and all the whole lot there. So there were six of us got together that have, I've have no relations buried there, but there was the other five people have, and I turned my way in behind them. And we went along and we went to uh, Blackwater Resource Development based in Castletown Roach, and they agreed to come in and cut the high grass down. So that has all been done last October. So what we're doing now going forward is we're trying to get a scheme in place or something in place that uh, will keep the grass cut down. So Blackwater Resource Development said they'd come in every two or three weeks and they'd cut the very, very uh, awkward place in between headstones and old graves with metal railings around it. And we could do it with a, a lawnmower as we had when I was working, and we keep the footpath all around us maintained, and we had it lovely. And so we're starting to get back to that again. But about two weeks ago, another one of my committee members and myself, we went out, we're trying to log the headstones again. And when we opened the gate and looked in, there was a big, long cut-up, right down through the grass margin, which was absolutely lovely. Somebody came in with a jeep, a car, and a trailer full of heavy stone. Now, it's limestone. It's absolutely limestone rock. And they went right down from the gate, down towards the church. And just on the right-hand side, there's a big crypt there, and behind that, they dumped it, And... People that have relations buried out there, we notice there's old wreaths from Christmas and there's flowers. There's an old saying, it's the same hand that takes them away as brings them there. So, you know, we're trying to tidy it up. Yeah,
2: and then someone went to the effort with a trailer, it must have been, and just dumped it.
8: dumped us, but they went in on one of the wettest days, I'd say when nobody else would be alone. Of course around. they did, of
2: course the, they
8: did. The trailer just bogged down.
2: Gosh, is shameful?
8: It is. You know, and so we were there with a spade trying to chop it up and with our feet just to stand on it to bring it back down again so as it would be nice and even. So if anybody is going in to see their relations down in the lower half of the graveyard, you know, be <laughs> they careful. won't another their neck in other words. Yeah. You know, yeah. and we we have created a lovely footpath all around now. And our long-term plan is that inside the gate on the left-hand side, we're getting big um, notice boards done, an information board, and things like that. So you'll have everybody that's buried there will be there alphabetically and numerically from the graves. And then there'll be a little map, which is a plot. And you'll be able to see... Where the particular names are and the position they're in the graveyard. And
2: you're just doing that as volunteers? Yeah. Oh, fair juice, fair juice. And is that a very old graveyard? It
8: is. It go, the earliest burial is there is, uh, we came across one in 1779. And I'd say actually, I think there's one there from 1612.
2: And there's no official record, is there? Kept? Or if there is, it's gone?
8: Well, it's gone because it's owned by the Protestant Bishop of Cork. Castle High Graveyard, and there are Catholics buried in there because when Kilcumper, old Kilcumper was full, yeah. new no, no, Kilcumper hadn't arrived on the scene. So people were dying and they had to be buried. So there was quite a lot of spaces in there. So it's Catholic and Protestant, and it's not owned by the Cork County Council, it's owned by the Protestant Bishop of Cork. So we have permission from him to do what we want to do to bring it back and okay. to maintain it.
2: And, and I'm assuming, it's, are, are people still being buried there? Or is it...
8: Yes. There
2: is still... The a okay. neighbour
8: of mine was buried there in their family plot uh, a couple of weeks ago.
2: Yeah, and as you say, the fact that you witnessed, you know, wreaths at Christmas and flowers, people yeah, are visiting. People rough. are visiting oh, no. their graves. OK.
8: But, but so, I mean, like, we will we will dump them. They're easy. Like, but the stone is a different thing because, you know, the big lumps of limestone,
2: it's just a god. Who would? Is, would the, who would have big lumps of limestone? Is that? Is that a builder?
8: Well, but it is where it didn't come out of any of the graves. No, no, it sure, surely didn't. Was dug. There's no limestone. God, where
2: it is? God, Danny, you'd have no luck, would you, for dumping stuff in a grave?
8: Well, no, you wouldn't. But the, like that was done again pre 1993. But when we moved in, there was a the community employment scheme in 1993. That was all stopped. Yeah, as we were always there, you know. I would have two guys working a, a week on and a week off, and we kept the place absolutely lovely. So we're trying to get back that down to that again. And yeah,
2: you see, that's the thing. If and if an area is maintained and there's regular work being done, the work isn't as difficult. But it's It's, it's when but it's when a grave, it's graveyard, is left overgrown with no evidence of cutting over a year or two. It just. It becomes wild.
8: Well, that's the thing. I mean, like, I've been a mulch or lawnmower, uh, self-propelled. So, like, we can go in there with that and one or two of the lads, you know, we'll take it in turns to go all around and create the footpath the same as we had always. And that's quite easy. But there are just some paths at the back of the church are very inaccessible because they're the real, you know, There's just headstones put down and foot matters and all. So a lawnmower wouldn't be able to get it. That's where the streamers come in. But we're just trying to go along and put a scheme together or put some stuff together that we would be able to maintain it. I mean, I don't know, rough cost. Uh, It costs about €800 a year to maintain it, which is just the petrol and uh, the oil for the streamers. And petrol for the lawnmower and the string for the streamers, and to get them serviced.
2: And then. The work will be done on a voluntary basis. Well done. Yeah, well Well, you, well, you, 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 and the rest of the gang, you're you're a credit to your area. Well done, well done. And we are hearing of others, other areas where where similar people just decided to get uh, together. And and we are hearing as well of some graveyards that are really, really well maintained. Mike in Bantry's been on to say Middleton graveyard is kept beautifully. I've got relatives resting there. Danny, we leave it there. Thank you for that. Thanks a million. And to uh, thanks. Th- keep up the good work. Right. Thanks a million. Yeah, bye bye. God bless the work as they say. So we'll turn to Danny and his group in uh, Formoy doing up the graveyards and somebody else, when somebody mentioned Coachford Gates, uh, Phil says, absolutely agree with the listener who texts or called in about the Gates at Coachford Cemetery. They are an absolute uh, disgrace. 0818 103 103. John Paul taking your calls. You can text our WhatsApp to 0862 103 103. We're going to take a break and we will be back with your having your pet questions answered by Jane Pickett so if you've got a pet question please get it into us now we're going to the Island Wood Veterinary Hospital in Newmarket part of the Mill Street Veterinary Group where we're joined by our resident vet Jane Pickett good afternoon to you Jane good afternoon Patricia and you are very welcome to the program and let me start with Marie who is moving house in the next couple of weeks she's a three-year-old cat who is very nervous any tips on how to get the cat to settle into the new environment
9: Okay so first and foremost I'd say just make sure your cat is really secure. A lot of the time they're very very keen to explore their new surroundings after the first few days and um, so I would always advise keeping your cat kind of locked inside the house so really really secure so that they learn where their new home is for at least two or three weeks before you even tentatively leave them out supervised in the garden. So first and foremost make sure they're secure. Um in the few days where you move them over for the house, over from one house to the other, so the initial period, you may find that your cat becomes quite quiet and reserved and may even hide. That's okay. It is a sign of stress, and it's bound to be a stressful situation. And a lot of the time, if a cat becomes quite quiet and hides, it's just them kind of, you know, figuring out what's safe in their new environment. And you will find that they slowly start to kind of explore a little bit more and become themselves. I would suggest that let's say their bed, their blankets, a few of the cushions and things like that that they would normally really like, you know, sitting on or, or being around in your old house. Don't wash them before you bring them into your new house. So bring the new smell, bring the the old smells of the cat in its old environment into the new house. So they kind of have a little bit of a point of reference. Something is pretty much the same as it was. So don't change everything all at once and try and keep something smelling like themselves from the old house. It may also be beneficial to use a, a product or a similar product. Um, as as one called Feliway, which is kind of a little bit of a, a pheromone plug-in. So it's a smell that you or I couldn't smell, but cats can smell. And it's a similar kind of kind of cat happy hormone essentially, so that it wafts in the air and that's the signal one cat would give to another that I'm happy, I'm relaxed, there's nothing to to worry about. Um in some cats it works really really well and in a kind of an introduction to a new environment it may help to to spru- smooth the process slightly although it's not going to make it perfect it's it's bound to be somewhat stressful to your cat but it can help they're normally available from your local vet so it may be worth having a chat with them if, as, as to if they have that product in stock in advance of you moving um or if they'd recommend another another brand um but they will be kind of my top tips okay. i think the main thing is give it time and, and don't be too worried just keep and them they, secure um, and let them figure it out
2: and they will Settle and I'll throw in my tub yeah. and say worth. Get the cat microchipped. And the reason that I say oh, that okay. is, I had a family member who came, moved from the UK to Ireland, bought three cats with them. One cat just kept wandering off. Three times the cat got returned thanks to a microchip.
9: they are really brilliant and I think in this situation I know I know in this country it's not let's say the cultural norm to to microchip cats I know when I worked in the UK pretty much every cat that came through my door into the consult room was microchipped I think it is a brilliant idea and you know there's a huge amount of cats will be presented to us as a lost cats or sick cats or injured cats and you know we we find the occasional one that has a microchip it's really really rewarding because we can either get that cat back to its owner really quickly or contact the owner and, and let them know what's going on. Um, I suppose it's just, it's in a situation like that where they're moving house, straying is more likely. Obviously, keeping them in and secure for a period of time tries to help guard against that, but you know, some cats will just wander and it's an extra safety measure. And
2: then when they're in a new area, they could just get lost. It's hard for them to find their way back. Okay, Mary's been on a stay with cats. She's an 11-year-old neutered tomcat who eats dry food, raw chicken and raw mince, drinks water and milk, and she describes the cat as being quite healthy. But for the last three weeks he started nibbling the clean litter in the litter tray never did it before and Mary's wondering how does she get him to stop doing it and why would he suddenly start doing it
9: okay that's a really interesting one um so n- nibbling or eating things that cats and dogs shouldn't can sometimes be behavioral so boredom but we don't commonly appreciate that in cats it's usually kind of boredom in dogs where they start chewing up things or eating things they shouldn't In cats, um, a condition called pica, so eating inappropriate things, uh, it is something that can happen and it can be if they're lacking something, so lacking a vitamin or mineral, but it is exceedingly uncommon. But that's not to say it's not possible. This sounds like a very unusual behavior. And I would say that it's one that you really should flag up with your vet at an appointment. This is a big change for, uh, let's say, an older or adult cat at 11 years of age. So they're not just simply going through a phase, something has changed health wise or environment wise. So I would say you need to bring this little cat to the vet for a check over. I would normally recommend in any kind of middle-aged to senior cat, which the 11-year-old cat would fall into, that they have at least six monthly checkups with their vet. That's so that we can catch issues early as the cat enters their latter years. And in some cases, we'd recommend kind of screening bloods just to make sure that the liver and kidneys are, are kind of doing okay and that there's one there because they are exceedingly common problems in older cats. The one thing that's a little bit unusual is the fact that there's raw food in this diet. And that gives me some causes for concern. So raw chicken in particular, as well as raw mince. I suppose very much like ourselves, um, if we were to eat raw chicken or raw mince, there, you know, it's it's filled with bugs, many of which can kind of colonize our, our gastrointestinal tracts so or our tummy and our intestines, and cause clinical infections. I know within, let's say, the dog world, raw feeding is kind of a bit of a movement, but it does majorly have its drawbacks. And it's not something I would recommend. We we only have seen dogs that were kind of fed a raw food diet, present with clinical infections, very, very serious tummy bugs as a result of that. And it's normally things like salmonella and compilobacter. And the important thing to note there is if you are raw feeding, we can catch those bugs as well. So the more contact you have with raw meat or with your pet's um, poo or pee, you know, it's an it's an extra risk factor that you might catch these things as well and particularly if there's children in the house. So yeah, it's careful. kind of a two-layered two one with yeah. this but visit the vet.
2: Yeah, be careful and if you're insisting on giving meat like that cook the meat uh, first. Now a North Cork a listener, I've got two dogs. One is a medium, the other is a larger dog, it's an Alsatian. My problem is they are constantly barking day and day night and the listener says I described them as being quite vicious I'm pondering should I get rid of them I've had the dogs three years and the barking simply has not stopped
9: Okay so I think well done to the listener for realising that there's an issue it certainly sounds like there is um, incessant barking is generally a symptom of boredom or stress so I think that it may be that you know Alsatians and, and certainly other kind of immediate to large breeds but particularly Alsatians they are incredibly intelligent creatures they require constant work to be going through their brains to keep them kind of mentally satisfied it's very very easy for them to get bored and when they get bored they get destructive they get um, they get loud and barky Um, And a lot of that's their way of venting stress and kind of signaling that something something's not quite right. So I would have kind of a a hard look at your own environment. Am I providing enough mental stimulation and activity for these large and quite clever dogs to make sure that, you know, we're providing them with kind of a, a good quality of life, enough brain function that that keeps them happy and mentally happy and physical activity to keep them physically happy. I would say that if you are noticing aggression, that's probably a similar symptom. Um, I would be concerned maybe that you should possibly discuss with your vet about who they would suggest as regards a a veterinary behaviourist. It would be the time to get them involved at this stage. I think you know when you take on a dog, you take on the responsibility for their lifetime. And I think really well done for recognizing there's an issue, but you really need to take oh. that next step and get some professional advice on how to deal with it and how to how to manage the behaviour and also how to optimize their environment to to you know reduce down the behaviour and keep them as happy and as kind of a good quality of oh. life as possible.
2: Yeah, because the last thing you need, by this listener's own description, are vicious uh, dogs. Kieran, then yeah. just just on cats when you're talking about. Older cats. Kieran is a cat who's twenty one years of age uh, and is wondering could that be one of the oldest cats in Ireland? That's a fine age, isn't it, for
9: a cat? <laughs> that is a fine age for a cat. When they start getting over 20, it's fairly spectacular, to be honest. A very well-kept cat, by the sounds of it, um, to meet at downstairs. I, I have never seen a cat older than 21. I know one of my colleagues, you know, we often have a chat about what's the oldest cat you've seen. I know one of my colleagues has
2: seen a cat that was 24 once. Um,
9: but whether that's still with us at this stage, well, that's I'm, unusual. I'm not sure.
2: could, Yeah, that is could unusual. could well one of the oldest. OK, and then yeah. Christopher has a seven-year-old labrador has noticed in the last 2 weeks she's going to the toilet a lot more but she seems to be drinking excessively as well and she has started to wet at night should christopher be concerned sounds like kidney uh, it- problem doesn't it
9: Yeah, it does. In a word, yes. I think really well done for recognizing those signs. The excessive drinking, the peeing and the changing in peeing pattern would all signal to me that there's either a bladder issue. So maybe a bladder infection or possibly a kidney issue. I think you need to visit the vet with with your little dog. And it can be really helpful if you can bring along a little urine sample as well. Um, Don't worry if you can't catch one, but if you can, it's really, really helpful.
2: OK, and another listener says, would you would you remind Jane to give advice to dog owners about Easter eggs? There'll be a huge amount of Easter eggs around the house this weekend and how poisonous chocolate can be for dogs. The reason I mention this is I had a dog many years ago who got very sick after eating a box of chocolates at Christmas. I'd say mm-hmm. it's good advice, isn't it?
9: Absolutely it is. And this is the the peak time of the year for chocolate toxicity or chocolate poisoning. Chocolate contains a chemical called theobromine, and it's really poisonous to dogs and cats. Um, it's in all kinds of things from pure chocolate, like chocolate Easter eggs. Uh, it's even there in small quantities in white chocolate, which you wouldn't think. It's also in the other kind of chocolate flavor kind of confectionery cakes that we get around this time of year. So cocoa powder. Um, so it's really important that it's not just the chocolate itself. It's the chocolate flavored cakes that we get this time of year. If your dog or cat does eat some chocolate, ring your vet try and let them know what they've eaten, so what kind of chocolate and roughly the amount they've eaten and it's most likely that um, your vet would advise you to bring them down to the clinic to make them sick, so to try and get what chocolate they've eaten
2: and um, what's poisonous to out of the system. All right. It's very serious and time is of the essence. Okay, well enjoy the chocolate yourself Jane and uh, thank you for joining us on the programme today. I will indeed. Thank Good you. Good afternoon. Bye bye. Jane Pickett, the Islandwood Veterinary Hospital in market part of the Mill Street Veterinary Group. And somebody's just sent on shocking photographs of rubbish that has been dum- dumped and says, hi, all of this rubbish has been dumped uh, in, on the Corkscrew Road in uh, Bandon. I have took photographs of it when I was out for my walk earlier. I'm fuming. I would take it away, but I don't have a trailer and there's so much I would need to have a trailer. Please mention it in the hope that uh, somebody can go out and clean it up there's even a dead animal in a bag and then somebody attempted to burn the rubbish there's also a lot of glass bottles and jars which is shameful because all of those items should be could be recycled shame on the person who dumped it okay that's on the Corkscrew Road in Bandon if anybody can help I've got to leave it there talk to you tomorrow at 10 thanks to John Paul Nick Richards is with you for the afternoon
3: Cork Today on C103 with Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale now part of McCarthy Insurance Group want great advice? you know who to talk